Thanks, Lise. Hey, good morning, everybody. Sebastopol Christian, and I'm excited to jump back into our series uh, because last week we, had, we took a special Sunday out to celebrate Kathy McCarty and all the wonderful work that she and Major are doing with the Chittimoyo Mission Hospital there in Zimbabwe. And if you didn't get to see that, you missed last week, it's, it's going to be online, uh, probably our sebchristian.com website, and you can see her and Major's message that she uh, had to say and share last week. And what a great barbecue birthday celebration it was. And you know what the other thing was? I, I tell you what I was impressed, just how many people from this church and this community have been to Zimbabwe to been to been to that hospital. Very, very impressive. October is going to be a busy month, uh, and it's not just Growth Track today with Follow, but it's also uh, the Fall Festival, uh, signing up for that. I know I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do one of those games. I, I'm just a games guy. So whatever, if there's something that's a little target that you've got to hit a target or put a ring around a bottle or something, I'm all over that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the guy running that, making sure that the kids win and get a lot of candy. So that's coming up at the end of the month. And the ladies is this Friday night. It's only five days away, lots coming up. I know of two life groups that are starting this week, Lisa's women's group on Tuesday night. There's a, another um, uh, couples and family group that's starting on Wednesday night. All of that information, it's in your bulletin, it's in all those handouts, so please get involved. Don't stay isolated, you know? We, we come together on Sundays for like an hour and a half, but there's all kinds of other ways to get involved in the body life of the church. So let's jump right in now with God question uh, as we continue. The question for this week is, can faith and science coexist? Of course, the problem with that question right there is it, it sort of suggests that you're putting science over on one side of the camp and faith over here. And if you are a scientist, that means you're a person of facts. You're a person of observable facts. And if you're a person of faith, it just means you're blind and you just believe because you believe and it's not really based on anything. And, that, and I think that question is wrong just right out the gate because I do believe faith and science can coexist. I happen to be a follower of Christ, but I am for science, not against science, because science is the discovery of truth. Science is the discovery of the world and how it works and the way it is. In fact, if you didn't know that, Christians um, over the centuries, they were in the vanguard of scientific discovery. And one of the reasons was the Christian faith believes that God created this world. He created this world with fixed laws and order. And because the, the world is, is orderly and God created us with a mind to be able to understand and rationally figure out and explain some things in our world, then the scientists said, then it's our job to figure out all the things that God has made and how they all work. And so science is actually, I think, a, it works with the Christian faith. They're not against each other. Science and faith can coexist. Hopefully you'll see that today because the... The follow-up question has to do with the origins of our universe. Does a 14 billion, yeah, that's B with a billion, you know, after a few million, you know, now you're talking real money. So uh, 14 billion year old universe and a 4 billion year old earth negate the Bible. So what that would suggest is because the universe has been discovered to be so old, does that mean that the, what the Bible, the record of the Bible and the days of creation, does that mean it's automatically wrong because 
whatever the Bible says about creation has to be different than what this, uh, the scientists are now saying about the world and the universe, right? A lot of people wonder what the discovery of the Big Bang Theory and how old this earth is. Do these scientific facts negate the Bible? Now, I want to go to this song because uh, Lisa and I have watched this uh, sitcom for about 12 years now. I think it's hilarious. The man in the middle is an absolute genius comedian. His name is Sheldon Cooper, Dr. Sheldon Cooper to you. And uh, there's even a show now called Young Sheldon that's on TV that sort of displays his life when he's like nine years old. And he's a genius. And so the Big Bang Theory is a group of scientists that all, um, uh, they're all friends. They work together. I think it's at Caltech down in Pasadena. And uh, they do life together and have a lot of funny episodes. And it's called the Big Bang Theory. And the Big, Thing, Big Bang Theory has a wonderful opening song with a lot of cool lyrics very scientific, and Lisa and I, uh, we always had this uh, habit of whenever we'd sing the song, we'd sing the song together, and right at the end, when it says bang, we'd high-five each other. So go ahead and take a listen to the song. Uh-oh. Here we go. 24 seconds. It's not that long. If we can't get the volume on the singing, and by the way, if you haven't heard this song, you've probably been living under Our whole universe was in a hot, dense state that nearly 14 million years ago expansion started. Wait, the earth began to cool, the autotrophs began to drool, Neanderthals developed tools, we built a wall. We built the pyramids, math, science, history, unraveling the mystery that all started with a big bang. Okay. So, yeah, you saw what I did there, right? Okay. Uh, that's how that we high-five each other on the last bang. So that is the opening song of the Big Bang Theory, and it says a lot about what science believes is the origin of the universe, right? The whole universe was in a hot, dense state, and then 14 billion years ago, expansion started. Wait, now there's the Big Bang Theory, the cosmic expansion of the universe. And it says... Um, the, the earth began to cool, the autotrophs began to drool. So I had to say, hold on, time out, time out. What's an autotroph? Because I had no idea. That, that word never showed up on my, uh, my testing in high school. What is that? The, the SAT tests. Yeah, the autotroph wasn't on there. Um, so I looked up autotroph, and apparently autotrophs are mostly plants. They make their own food, and then hence the auto. They're able to feed themselves right? So self-feeders. Plants, uh, even some bacteria, some algae, they're important because the autotrophs become the food source for the heterotrophs. And the heterotrophs are the, are the, are the organisms, the, an the animals like you and me. We get our food from an outside source. At least I hope you do. I mean, maybe you chew your fingernails, but that's not really a, a good source of nutrition over time. Uh, that would be autotrophing right here, which I do from time to time. And Lisa reminds me that my grandson Cade inherited that from me. 
Um, but anyway, so a heterotroph gets their food from an outside source. So you are a heterotroph. So please turn to your neighbor and say, you're a heterotroph. And you don't have to apologize for saying that. It's not an insult. Um, you, a dog, a cat, a bird, a fish, they're all heterotrophs because we depend on other organisms for our energy source. Well, then the song goes on, and Lisa and I, honestly, we did not know that this beginning, this middle part of the song um, very, was very mysterious to us. But we actually watch YouTube, and you can learn some, something. And so it says, Neanderthals developed tools, and they built the walls. They built the pyramids, yes. So uh, the Neanderthals developed tools, and then math, science, history, unraveling the mystery. It all started with the Big Bang. So uh, science is saying, based on the discoveries of the Hubble telescope years ago, that this universe, which is now expanding, and I, I, I don't understand how they know this, but scientists say that the universe is expanding. It's continuing to expand, and it's not only ex expanding right now, the universe is expanding at an accelerated rate from where it was expanding before. But because of the expansion and the rate of expansion, scientists can now measure that and how much the universe has been expanding, and they extrapolate that all the way back to a beginning when the universe was no bigger than my fist here put together, or even smaller than that, and all of a sudden there was this massive explosion and what they call the Big Bang, and what we would call the cosmic expansion of the universe. Now, you say, can faith and science coexist? Because if you go to the first book of the Bible called Genesis, which by the way means beginnings or origins, uh, Genesis says it this way, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when the Big Bang happens, so to speak, uh, somebody uh, said it last service at the, uh, in between because they were saying, the way I always understand the Big Bang, Jim, is, is you have the Big Bang, but uh, what was it that caused the bang? Or where did the materials for the bang even come together, right? So you have to have all the materials for the Big Bang to happen for all the materials to expand uh, at light speed, but where did all those materials come from in the first place? And, of course, the answer for our Christian faith was in the beginning, there was a being who existed before matter, before energy, before space, before time. And that being is God. He is an uncaused cause. So when your child or your grandchild comes up to you and says, Grandma or Grandpa or Dad or whatever, uh, where, you, where did God come from, right? You ever had that question? Like, God, oh, well, in the beginning, God. God created everything. God is the all-powerful. He's, he's all-knowing. He's all, all these things we understand about God from the revelation of, of the scriptures. Uh, but in the beginning, God. And the, and the kid, because our only understanding is, okay, if something is here, if this book is sitting here on the lectern, it's because I brought the book up from the, the bench that I was sitting on. And why was the book on the bench? Because I brought the book up to the bench from my office, et cetera, et cetera. So you have all these effects, this observable facts that you can see, and you say, well, what was the cause of that, right? So you go back to the cause, the cause, the cause, and even a child understands that. A child says, well, I, I was born because of my mommy and daddy, and they were born because of their mommy and daddy, et cetera, et cetera. But you keep going back far enough, and you say, okay, 
there, uh, if everything has a prior cause to it, then it just goes back forever. And can that even happen? And the, the Bible's answer to that in Genesis is, no, in the beginning, before there was any of this matter, before there was space or time or energy or matter, there was God. And he is an uncaused cause, right? And he is an, uh, he's over and above the rest of whatever he created. Right? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right? So four important elements came into existence. What, you, what scientists would call the Big Bang Theory, what we would call creation, the cosmic expansion of the universe, matter, energy, space, and time. Now, the Bible says... Uh, uh, the Bible has many other ways of describing creation besides Genesis 1. Uh, one of the uh, descriptions of creation, which I think is very poetic, if you go to Psalm, chat, Psalm number 33, Psalm 33 says this, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. In verse 9, For when God spoke, the world began. It all appeared at His command. And so the cliche kind of goes, you know, yeah, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God spoke and bang, it happened, right? So there, there is the, uh, the, the reasonable faith answer to the science, what science has discovered about the origin of the universe. Now, one of the things that becomes real controversial when you get into uh, this idea of creation and where's the origins of the universe and stuff is this whole idea of the understanding of the word day, right? Because <clears throat> you say, well, we're, I, I don't get where the argument is or I don't get where the uh, problem is in the Christian faith if you have science saying the origin of the universe happened with this Big Bang and Christian says, yeah, we believe the Big Bang happened, but we believe that God caused it all to happen. The problem happens when you talk about the time and how far back the universe goes before the creation of the universe. Because you're talking about 14 billion years. And for this guy who's only lived half a century and some change, uh, that's a long period of time, right? So, and, and yet Christians have this idea of days of creation. For many hundred, hundreds of years, Christians have believed in what we call uh, the, the 24 hour days of creation, right? Which means God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. And I remember reading that and I said, oh yeah, on the seventh day he rested, God must have been tired from all that creation. But that, that's my limited human understanding because here I am thinking that God is like us and God gets tired like I am. Well, God doesn't get tired because he's limitless and, he, and he's his own source of energy and he is light and he's all that. So God doesn't run out of energy or get tired. It says God rested on the seventh day because he was finished with all the days of creation. So you have the six days of creation and then you have this idea, well, the day as I understand it is a 24-hour period of time. A day means 24 hours, one revolution of the earth uh, around the sun. So, or at least one rotation of the earth as it orbits the sun. So uh, that must be what a day of creation is, which would suggest then if it's only 24 hours in a day of creation and, and you already have on the sixth day, you already have man and woman, human beings in the world, then that would suggest a very young earth 
rather than a four billion year old earth as scientists say that there is now. So there's where the problem comes in. It, 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 the problem comes in because some Christians believe in what they call a young earth theology, which means that there's only six 24-hour periods of creation, and you have to believe that in order to be a Christian. Question is, do you really have to believe that in order to be a Christian? So I came across this awesome book. Uh, it's by a Christian uh, creation scientist. His name is Dr. Hugh Ross. And Dr. Hugh Ross wrote this book about 13 years ago called A Matter of Days. It's actually, it's not just to help explain the scientific origins of the universe. This book was also written as kind of a peace pipe offering, if you will. You know, you, know, you sit around the, the Indian teepee and the, the chief hands you the pipe and is like, smoke them, peace pipe. And that basically means, can we be at peace with each other as we're around this table uh, or around this uh, teepee together? Dr. Hugh Ross wrote this book as a creation scientist who believes in an old earth, not a young earth, not this six 24-hour days of creation, and he wrote this book as trying to build a bridge to help the young earth creationists understand how science and faith can coexist instead of having to be at odds with each other. So uh, here's one of the... Uh, fine-tuning facts of the universe which make it amazing the the world that we live in is so fine-tuned it is so well designed it, it screams out actually for a designer uh, that made the world so exact the way it is this is what dr hugh ross says no other characteristic of the universe is so well designed as this cosmic expansion so what we call the Big Bang, the cosmic expansion, the two parameters governing the expansion, the mass density and the space energy density. And go ask Luke Sanders what that means. I don't know. But I, I know that they're, they, they measure how the universe expanded and the kinds of scientific parameters that it had to be in in order to either keep expanding and fly apart or not have enough energy to expand and the universe would just collapse back on itself. And the, the fine-tuning is so precise that it has to be better than one part in 10 to the 60th power. To give you an example of how big a number that is, all the atoms in all the human beings on the planet right now are about 10 to the 35th power number of atoms. So one in 10 to the 60th power for the mass density expansion has to be that finely tuned. And then for the uh, space energy density, it has to be one part in one to the 120th power, which just screams out for a well-designed, very precise universe. Um, what I want you to do now is I want to take you to a video of Dr. Hugh Ross. And he's a scientist and he talks scientifically, but we had him at our church. We had him about five years ago at the church where I served. Dr. Hugh Ross is an amazing, uh, super smart guy, but he actually has figured out how to take scientific ease language and make it understandable for the rest of us. So one person in this video, he asked Dr. Hugh Ross, he says, help me understand, Dr. Ross, about this whole idea of a day and the Hebrew word for day and how that either does or doesn't have to mean only a 24-hour period of time. Please give your attention. You mentioned about the idea of God's days as he mentions one day after the other in Christian faith, or I've always held on to it being one 24-hour day after the other, and you describe the idea of one 
day being significantly longer, just as we're talking now. And you'd mentioned about the Hebrew terms, which I've never seen the Hebrew Bible or don't know any Hebrew per se. <clears throat> but you've made me really curious in terms of what is the term and how is it that, uh, that this actually fits with the verbiage of the original Hebrew scripture so that it'll help me to go, oh, okay. And I'm not tense about it. Actually, I'm quite relaxed because of the fact you're putting together brilliant science, and I've got that kind of background, not brilliant scientist, but I've got uh, you know, str strength in this area. And so I look forward to helping me understand better about the scriptural verbiage that makes that day be as long as obviously it must be. Sure. Um, well, I'm going to give you a brief answer, but if you want the long answer, it's in this book, A Matter of Days. It was released just this past June. And I wrote the book uh, with the intent of trying to bring some resolution to this debate within the Christian church. Are the days in Genesis 1 24-hour periods uh, or long periods of time? Now, you're right. The word yom that's translated day in Genesis 1 has a variety of literal definitions. Actually, four. It can mean the portion of the daylight hours, all of the daylight hours, the 24-hour period, or a long but finite period of time. And incidentally, that's common to uh, nouns in the Hebrew language. Uh, the word earth that you see in Genesis 1 has five different literal definitions. The word heaven has three different literal definitions. And it's simply the result of the fact that in biblical Hebrew, there are very few nouns. So whatever nouns you have, they have to do multiple duty. And in biblical Hebrew, the only word you have to describe a long, finite period of time is that word yom. So if Moses wanted to describe a long period of time, that's the only word he could have used. Now, you heard in my uh, talk how there are 20 major creation accounts in the Bible. Now, what we do in this book is we take you through those 20 accounts. Because the position we take at Reasons to Believe is that you want to take the Bible both literally and consistently. And so our problem with the 24-hour view is that you've got the 20 different creation accounts contradicting one another. Uh, but if it's six consecutive long periods of time, then all 20 creation accounts uh, are consistent. Now I'll give you a couple of examples. It tells us in Genesis 1 that in terms of the creation of human beings, both the male and the female were created on creation day 6. But in Genesis chapter 2, the second account of creation, we're told that Adam was created first, outside of the Garden of Eden, and God placed him in the Garden of Eden, and then God had him work the Garden of Eden so that he could learn about the physical creation. Then after that, God told him to name all the birds and mammals in the Garden of Eden so that he could learn about that part of creation that's both physical and soulish, birds and mammals being creatures that have mind, will, and emotions. Then God put Adam to sleep, took a biopsy from his side, allowed him to recover from the operation, and he woke up, and was introduced to a brand new creature that, like him, was body, soul, and spirit. And in Genesis 2, it actually states the word that came out of uh, Adam's mouth. It's the Hebrew word hapam. And everywhere else it's used in the Old Testament, it's translated 
at long last. So several Bible scholars have concluded this isn't a few microseconds at the end of a 24-hour day, rather it's the passage of several weeks, months, maybe even years between the creation of Adam and the creation of Eve. Therefore, the sixth day must be a long period of time. Now, the thing that persuaded me at age 17, reading the Bible for the first time, is that when you look at Genesis 1, you've got an evening and a morning for the first six days. But there's no evening and morning for the seventh day. I looked for it and it wasn't there. Well, the evening and morning minimally would be bracketing the beginning and the ending of each creation day. So it told me day seven, though it had a beginning, had not yet finished. And it's that period of time when God rests from his work of creation. And when I read Genesis 1 at age 17, for me it answered the enigma of the fossil record. When we look before humanity, we see an abundance of scientific evidence for speciation. But after humanity, we don't see any. Well, for six days God creates. On the seventh day he rests. That's why we don't see anything happening now. But that tells us that the seventh day also is a long period of time. And if you want 18 more biblical arguments, then you'll have to get the book. But uh, what I try to do in the book is I finish it off with a set of predictions saying, if the young earth model is correct, this is what scientists and theologians will discover in the next 12 to 18 months. But if the old earth model is right, then the next 12 to 18 months, they will discover opposite things. And so we wait 12 to 18 months and we see whose predictions have come true. Then we can move on to the next church splitting controversy that's got no bearing on salvation doctrine. <laughs> Who knew? A scientist with a sense of humor. That's great. Uh, yeah, a matter of days. If uh, somebody in our last service, uh, she told me, she said, Jim, I already went online. I, I assume that when I held up the book, she stopped listening to whatever I was saying. And she said, I'm going to go online and I'm just going to order the book. And she said, it's on her way now. It's probably halfway to her home if she's got Amazon one day. Uh, but anyway, a matter of days. If you know of somebody or you yourself have struggled with this whole idea of creation, the origins of the universe, how old is the, is the earth, how old is the universe, what does God say about it, why, why does it seem like, why does it seem like Christians believe the earth is so young when scientists are saying the, the earth is so old? Well, one answer to that, uh, there's a slide, I think it's uh, slide number nine. Yeah, there he is. Okay, why, where does this idea of a 6,000-year-old world come from, right? That, the, that somebody came up, and I, I remember reading this in one of the Bibles that I first started reading, and it basically said, beginning of the world, beginning of the, not, I don't know about the universe, but beginning of planet Earth, 4,004 B.C. And I said, wow, that's not even that long ago, considering the whole age of the Earth. But that's what they were saying, and it was based upon this guy, an Irish Protestant arch archbishop, his name is James Usher, and in 1654, he starts studying the Bible. He was studying what another scholar had done, taking all of the accounts in Genesis and Chronicles about all the genealogies of all the people that were born and so-and-so fathered so-and-so and so-and-so, and they lived this many years and this many years. And so they started doing the math and backing it all up, and they didn't realize that there could be lots of gaps in that genealogical record. 
but they just said, no, we'll take, we'll take the names that we have and the numbers that we have. And, they, and he concluded in the margins of his own Bible. Now, if you guys have an NIV study Bible or a life application Bible, you guys know that you have the scriptures usually on the top part of your Bible pages, and then you have the commentary uh, down below where scholars are saying, well, this is what this word means, and here's another place in the scripture where you find it, and here's how you can you know, kind of apply it to your life based upon what we understand. So James Usher made his own margins in his Bible where he was writing down notes as to his gene- genealogical records and discoveries. And somebody found his Bible, found those margins in the King James Version of the Bible, and basically took those notes and canonized them for about 300 years into the Christian church. And so now, even today, uh, happy or sad, I don't know if you believe this or not. I'm certainly entitled to your opinion. But today, there's still a lot of people that they would call young earth creationists who believe that this world is 6,000 years old and 4004 BC was about the time. Bishop, he was so exact, he even said it was October 12th. 4004 BC, that is when the world began. And I'm thinking of the arrogance of that, first of all, but like, where where do you go? But also just saying there's no other possibility because the day of creation, the six days of creation, they have to be 24-hour periods of time only. Well, like Dr. Hugh Ross said, you can go to other places of the Bible and you can see where the word day is used and it doesn't mean just 24-hour periods of time. I love his example of of the creation of Adam and Eve. On the sixth day of creation, God made Adam and Eve. Uh, He created man in his own image. Uh, God created uh, him in mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Said it was very good. And yet, if you believe in a 24-hour period of time, On the day that God created man, he had to have man, he was outside the garden, he had to put him in the garden, he had to show him how to tend the garden. For a while, man had tended the garden, he had to learn about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had to bring all these animals into the garden and and have all this time. I'm sure it's like God is telling Adam, hurry up, hurry up, you know, name it, zebra, goat, tiger, you know, elephant, you know, and then, you know, go, 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 go. Because time was running out because, hey, hang on, put you to sleep. Whoop, puts him to sleep, takes the biopsy out, creates Eve. And then, of course, the kicker at the end, if it's a 24-hour period of time, why would Adam say at long last? He couldn't have been more than 23 hours old when that happened. So what, how, why would he possibly say at long last? So does that not suggest that the day being talked about is longer than just a quote, a 24-hour period of time? And the fact, of course, what Dr. Hugh Ross said was the seventh day, uh, or the seventh day when God rested from his creation on the sixth day, there, ne- there was no morning or evening of that. That is still going on today. In fact, it, it suggests, because when you come down to the end of the Bible in Revelation, it says God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. So that, that is still pending. So this day of creation, this day of the Lord, there are other things that are described when it comes to day. Look what Moses says in Psalm 90 when he says, Lord, I think about you being the creator, you being eternal. God, you're from everlasting to everlasting. You're God. So time just doesn't mean to God what it means to us. And it always reminds me of that story, that guy's walking along the road, and I'll just He's got a quarter. You got, you got to modernize. It was a penny when I read it, but nobody picks up a penny anymore. 
my grandson yesterday found a quarter, and he was so excited he found it yesterday. So he, he, picks, up, he picks up a quarter, and he looks up to, to heaven, and he looks up to God, and he says, God, it's amazing to think that as powerful as you are, and you own the cattle on a thousand hills and all this stuff, that, that a quarter to you is like a billion dollars. I mean, it, it's, a quarter to me is a quarter, but a quarter to you and a billion dollars, it's all the same because, because you're infinite. And, and God responds to him and he says, yep, that's right. A quarter is about the same to me as a billion dollars. And a day to you is as a thousand years. And God says, yep, time is different for me than it is for you because God exists outside of time. And so the guy kind of smiles and he looks up to God and he says, well, God, could I have a quarter? And God replies, he smiles and he looks down and he says, yeah, you can have a quarter. Can you wait till tomorrow? <laughs> so this whole idea of days of creation and what is that Hebrew word that Hebrew word is, he said yom is the day translated day now we know of yom from the Hebrew calendar because we just celebrated the Jewish New Year Rosh Hashanah right Shana Tova you know happy New Year in the Hebrew to the to the people of the Jewish faith Ten days after the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, is the most important high holy day on the, on the Jewish calendar. And it is a, a, a term in Hebrew called Yom Kippur. Yom means day. Day of atonement. Now, traditionally, back when the temple existed, that was the one day a year when only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies inside the innermost part of the temple and offer a blood sacrifice on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant with the two angels, you know, with their wings looking over the Ark of the Covenant and offer sacrifices for himself, the high priest, and for the sins of the people. And by covenant agreement with God, the sins of the people would be forgiven and rolled back until the next year. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So, there, so we even have a a. Hebrew word that we understand now because it's going to be celebrated on Wednesday or Thursday by the Jewish community, Yom Kippur. That word Yom, that Hebrew word Yom, can be translated a number of different ways. He said 20 different ways in the Bible. Let me go back to that slide you just had there. The Hebrew word Yom, uh, translated day, it could be translated as from sunrise to sunset. It could be translated from sunset to sunset, meaning a short period of time. It could be a segment of time without any reference at all to solar days, but it's a finite period of time. It has a beginning and an ending, but we don't know how long it is. And then the fourth one, which I, of course, I put in yellow because I want you to focus on that one, is D, Yom could also be translated as an age or an epic. Now, in English, we go to the next slide now, in English, we even have different ways we understand days. Like, what, how would we understand the word day in English, the Hebrew word yom? Well, I'm reading uh, the tales of my biological grandfather's life in the 1920s in Kansas and Oklahoma and Arkansas and Texas. And he's in college and he's playing football and he's playing baseball and he's got these summer jobs and then he gets a job in West Texas with uh, the Humble Oil Company because uh, they're blowing uh, gushers out in West Texas and he's part of that uh, business. So I'm reading about his life. But what it, the way I would say it is in my grandfather's day, this is what they did. 
You know, in my grandfather's day, they had Model T Fords. You remember, uh, don't you love your color choices in cars today? Back in the 1920s, Henry Ford said, the Model T, um, you, we have one color, right? What was it, Bill? You get black and that's it, right? <laughs> you got one color choice. You get black. You know, Henry Ford was not exactly Mr. Genius Marketer. He produced a good product in the mass assembly line, but one color only for a Model T Ford. So in my grandfather's day, they only had black cars right? In September, it's harvest time. That would be the day of the harvest. That would have how the Hebrew word yom would be used to say it's harvest time. And maybe it lasts for a week or a month or whatever, but it's certainly not just a 24-hour day. In the day of the Lord is another phrase that's used in the Bible a lot. It indicates a span of time. That day of the Lord may be many months or even longer. For example, if you go to the last chapter in one of the last books of the Old Testament, Zechariah, Zechariah says in the end of days or in that day, he says many of these pagan nations who are enemies to Israel, they're going to gather up a huge army and they're going to surround Israel for an armed attack against Jerusalem. Now all of that prophecy, all of that day is not, nobody thinks that that's going to happen in just a 24-hour period of time, but the same Hebrew word yom is used. So I just want to make the case that it does not have to be a 24-hour day, and that also accounts for how these other creation days can be so long, right? So uh, that 24-hour day on the basis of one Hebrew word uh, does not have to, to mean 24 hours only as a limited time, right? Um, so we've got that. All right, let me talk about three things that we can agree on. Right? What, what are some things that scientists and Christians and even Christians that are either of the young earth camp or of the old earth camp? And remember that book by Hugh Ross, he's writing this book to build a bridge between the young earth creationists and the old earth creationists to try to say uh, there's biblical evidence for why you can have an old earth, why you can say, yeah, the Big Bang Theory is science and it's okay because I'm not limited to say a day can only be 24 hours, so the earth can only be 6,000 years old. So what can we all agree on? Well, we can agree on, and I say many scientists can agree on this, or that God created all matter, energy, space, and time. That the, the reason the universe exists is because God willed it into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God spoke and he said, let there be light or light be. And there was. Uh, so there's God is the creator of all that there is. God prepared the universe as a home for humans. Uh, there's many other scientific phenomenal discoveries about how fine-toothed the universe is, how exact it has to be for life to even exist uh, on this planet, made for human beings, made for us to be able to survive. Uh, God created many life forms, including plants and animals. He created autotrophs, and then I don't believe the autotrophs began to drool. I don't, that, that's, that's, in fact, that's, that's actually a sort of a foreshadowing of this belief in evolution, right? That 
the autotrophs began to drool, meaning the autotrophs somehow started randomly mutating and morphing from autotrophs into heterotrophs, right? From a, a plant that can feed itself through sun and soil and water to now something that has to depend on an outside source of energy to feed it. So where would the transition be between those two? You know, how, how could you, because you don't just leap from an autotroph to a heterotroph. There has to be somewhere in between an auto hetero you know type and, and we don't have any example of that but I'm getting ahead of myself because next week we're gonna take on another God question and that's called um, the, did evolution did evolution put God out of a job did evolution put God out of a job so we're gonna tackle that next week as we do the God questions right so Dr. Hugh Ross, if you don't want to get the book, that's fine. You can probably read a lot of the facts about the book. You can get these YouTube videos for free if you don't want to spend any money. But uh, start by going to reasons.org, or you can go on YouTube and just look up Dr. Hugh Ross and creation lectures or something like that, and you can find it all there. So we can find a lot of common ground uh, with people from all sides of the camp. Uh, let's keep these three ideas in mind. I believe this one is slide 12, right? What does science try to do? This is where, this is where there's this false enemy made between science and, and religion, between science and faith. Science inter attempts to interpret the facts of nature, right? Christians are doing the same thing. We're looking around at the world around us and basically said, okay, where did this world come from? Where did man come from? How did man get to be the way that he is? And how did this world get so messed up? And is there any way that somehow we can put this world back together? I think those are the questions that all mankind are asking, whether you're a, an atheist or agnostic scientist or whether you're a Bible-believing follower of Christ. They're, we're attempting to interpret the facts of nature, the Big Bang origin, and age of the universe and the earth. Christian theology interprets, attempts to interpret the words of the Bible. If it, I tell you where the problem would be. The problem would be if the Hebrew word yom only meant a 24-hour period of time, because now you got all kinds of problems uh, with the age of the universe versus this young earth idea. But if that Hebrew word yom can mean a period of time and could it even be a long period of time, then you've got really no problem with scientific discoveries. According to that theology, God created the universe. God is responsible for the words of the Bible. So the greater, the, the more in-depth and greater understanding you have of what the words of the Bible actually mean, they actually become more compatible with what the discoveries of science are. So it's not like we learn more about the Bible. <gasps> Ooh, that's, ew, that's problematic. And let, la, 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 I'm just going to go whistle in the dark and pretend I didn't read that. No, you, you start, you, you get into the details of Bible study and it becomes the friend of science. And the whole reason I even believe that is because Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, right? He is the truth. The truth is that which corresponds to reality. So if Jesus is saying the way things are, Jesus believes that God uh, made the world, Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, meaning that at one time Jesus existed even before the universe came into being. I don't know if you knew that, but 
There's a prayer that Jesus says in John chapter 17. He's in the Last Supper with his disciples. He's finishing up his time with them. He gives them a lot of teaching, and then he prays, and he talks to the Father. And he says, Father, I have completed. I have, he, says, he says, Father, I have brought glory to you because I have completed the work you gave me to do. Right? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing that for the end of your life, if you could come down to whenever the end of your life is, whether 30 or 50 or 80 or 100 years, or you live to be 110 like Lil Ogden or Kyle, what, however many years God gives you, as you say, God, I feel, I feel satisfied, I feel content, I feel like I've done here on earth what you wanted me to do while I was still here on earth while I still had time. I'm completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus said that about himself, and then he says, and now, Father, he says, return to me the glory that I had with you before the world began. Is that not an amazing thing? That Jesus would be saying, Father, I want to I get back to you to heaven. I've come down here to earth. I've, I've become the living word. I've become the message of God. I've become the, um, the explanation of who God is to this world, the message that God wanted to, to create. If anyone has seen the, me, seen the Father, all these kind of things, and Jesus says, now, Father, I want to return to you, and I want to get back to the glory that I had with you before the world began. That's an amazing, that's an amazing claim about somebody if they were only a human being. So we, uh, some of the things that God says about creation besides Genesis 1, we need to keep in mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go through this real fast. Then I want to go to Romans 1, and then I want to close it up, and I want worship team to be on standby, like ding, 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 get ready. Here we go. Number one, uh, God, what God says about creation in other places in the Bible. Number one, in I believe it's Psalm 14, David the psalmist, the famous psalm writer, wrote about half the psalms in the Bible. In Psalm chapter 19, David the psalmist says this. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So you look up and you see the heavens, you see the sky. And again, I, I grew up in Southern California. I, I didn't see a lot of glory of God up in the heavens. I saw, I saw a lot of mist. I saw a cloud cover, I saw a lot of city lights, and I saw very few lights. And then my son Tyler and I, we go on a hiking trip, and we go up to South Lake up in the eastern Sierra at 9,000 feet in October, and we're, it's at night, and we, we, uh, we're getting ready to go in our tent, and we look up one more time, and it's all of a sudden, it's like, what is that? And all of a sudden, there's, the sky is just full and bursting with stars which I, I'm just like, this is amazing. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Keep that in mind before I get to Romans chapter 1 because uh, David also says in Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth, that the cause of the bang, the cause of the cosmic expansion of the universe was something other than the universe itself, right? Something cannot come out of nothing, 
I mean, I, I don't know what grand theologian invented that, but it's probably after a lot of study. Because usually the smartest guys, and I don't know if you notice this in life, usually the smartest people in life are the ones that can take these complex ideas and make it really simple for somebody to understand. And the way it, it is for me with creation, why I believe God is the creator, is just that idea that something cannot come out of nothing. Not without a supernatural force on it. And look what it says here in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, The universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen, hence this universe, what is seen, this world, was not made out of what was visible. Whatever God used to make the universe, if it was his own mind, his own will, he spoke the universe into existence. He didn't make it out of what was visible. So something didn't come from nothing. Something came from God, whatever God used in creation. We can observe creation. We can reflect upon it. We can make observe observations about it. We can tell something about God from creation. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this. You can tell some things about God. You look out in the world, you can tell a few things about the Creator by looking at it, right? Romans chapter 1, maybe the slide right before this. Thank you. Some, Diane is just pushing me. Okay, uh, verse 20. She's like, let's go, let's go. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You can tell some things by God, about God by looking at the world around you. Is, look what he says. Eternal power is divine nature. Next slide. What can we learn about God just by looking at, at the creation? We, believe, we can learn that God exists, that creation is, because, creation is here because there was a creator. And that creator is intelligent because he made this world orderly, not in a world of disorder. And by the way, that's why most of the scientists in the world up until this century, most of the great scientists in the world were Christian because they believed that God made this world and he made this world orderly and he made this world in a way that could be understood and he made the human mind in such a way that we can reason and be rational and understand the world that we're observing. That what we're seeing and observing is reality. Christians believing that, that's how the scientific discovery started happening because they wanted to understand the details of the world that we live in. Not, oh, forget it. Um, God is all-powerful, God is e eternal, and God does not like disorder. So you can tell that about, the world, about God by observing the world. I have to tell you, though, there's some things you cannot tell about God by observing the world. If you, you know, we're in Kenya, and I didn't see this live, but you've seen it on lots of National Geographics. When you see this poor zebra running, and you see the lion chasing the zebra, and you see the lion, you know, pounce on the zebra and, and grab it and, and grab its neck and choke it to death, and then they start eating the zebra, I, I don't immediately burst out into, wow, what a loving and gracious and merciful, compassionate God we have, you know? That observation doesn't make me see the love and mercy and compassion of God. We don't get the love and the mercy and the grace of God by observing creation. What we get and how we understand God is that way can only happen not by general revelation, but by what we call specific revelation. We can only understand who God is if God himself explains himself to us, right? 
I can't understand who God is because I'm a finite creature. But if infinite, almighty, all-knowing God says, I'm going to reveal myself to human beings, then we can understand something about who God is, right? So Jesus claims to be uh, God in the flesh. He claims to come down from heaven. He comes to, to say, I'm going to tell you who God is and what God is like. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And God so loved the world, you learn about God's love in John 3, 16 and 17, that when God sent Jesus, he didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, even though God was, the, the wrath of God was being poured out against the sin of the world. But God sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then Jesus in John's prologue, as John's trying to describe him in chapter one, that, that verse of John 1, uh, verses Verse 18, I don't know if you have that in the slide. There it is. What can you tell about God? Uh, only by the revelation of God himself that no one has seen God at any time, but God the one and only. God the one and only who is at the Father's side, a being that's different from the Father but is at the Father's side, he has made God known. And that's how we can know who God is because we can look at Jesus and you can find out who God is. So Jesus comes and he tells us about who God is and he says he's here to love us. He's here to bring forgiveness and eternal life. He says, follow me, believe in me. Why? Because Jesus was going to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Like we mentioned Yom Kippur. Really the day of atonement happened on that Passover Friday. On that day when on the hill outside of Jerusalem, God himself laid down his life for us and became the, the punishment for our sins so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That's how we find out the love and the mercy and the compassion of God when you look at Jesus. And Jesus gives this offer to us and he makes this promise. And he says, I tell you the truth, John chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message who believe in God, who sent me, they have eternal life. So you listen to Jesus' message, you believe that he came from God, and Jesus promises this. He says, you will have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. Why? Because Jesus already paid the price for our sins. They have already passed. So somebody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, they have already passed from death to life, from separation from God to eternal life with God. Now that's the kind of revelation you can't get by just looking out at the world, the kind that you can only get from Jesus himself, who claims to be God, become a human being. Do you believe that message? Are you ready to follow Christ? Are you ready to trust in him? Hannah, could you guys come on up and uh, get ready for the last song? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, <clears throat> we're trying to understand this world that we live in. We're trying to understand where everything came from. And Lord, you gave us enough reason and understanding to know that something doesn't come from nothing. That the universe didn't just appear out of nowhere without something greater than the universe causing that to happen. And Lord, we believe that you've revealed yourself to us in these pages of Scripture to say the, the creator of the universe is you. 
in the beginning, you created the heavens and the earth. And Lord, not only did you do that, but you are a relational God that you want to know us. You want to be in a right relationship with us. And you made that happen because of Jesus. You sent Jesus to help us find our way back to you. And so, Lord, today, if there's anybody here or anybody listening online that hasn't yet crossed that line of faith, hasn't yet crossed over from death to life, Lord, we put our trust in Jesus Christ. We say that He is the way and the truth and the life, and that all the mysteries of wisdom and knowledge, they are all found in Jesus. And Lord, we're going to let Jesus help us understand this world and how it got to be the way it is and how with your help, Lord, that you're going to empower us to begin to put this world back together. Lord, help us to do that. But Lord, before we do that, we need to know you. We need to be in a right relationship with you. So Lord, we put our trust in your son, Jesus. Help us to take next growing steps as we grow and develop our faith. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.